Have we seen the worst of mortgage rate hikes? Are rates leveling off? What does that mean for the market as we head into the spring season? Hi, I'm Rob West. Those are all questions we'd like answered, especially if you're thinking about buying or selling a home. And we know just the guy to do it. We'll talk to Dale Vermillion today to find out what's up with mortgage rates. And then it's on to your questions at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, our friend Dale Vermillion is back with us today. He's author of The Mortgage Maze, The Simple Truth About Financing Your Home. Dale, always great to have you with us, my friend. Great to be here, Rob. Thank you so much. Dale, how would you describe the trend in mortgage rates these days? And I guess the follow-on to that is, is there one? Yeah, you know, it's actually uh, more stable than it's been in some time. Last year was incredibly volatile. Uh, as you know, at the end of last year, we were at one point almost uh, over 8%. It steadily climbed down uh, at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And, you know, it's been bouncing around the six and a quarter to six and a half rate mark pretty steadily. So we believe it's going to kind of stay there and then slowly climb down over the next several months until the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, The Fed is expected to start lowering interest rates, perhaps starting next month. Uh, They've said maybe three decreases in 2024. Some analysts say it could be as many as six times, totaling one and a quarter percent. In either of those scenarios, what impact might this have on mortgage rates? You know, it's interesting because the Fed rate doesn't have a direct correlation to mortgage rates. In fact, sometimes when the Fed rate goes down, mortgage rates go up um, and vice versa. But It does, with that large of a drop, we will see an improvement in mortgage rates. Um, Fannie Mae just came out and announced that they believe that rates will be under 6%. Most of the analysts I talk to say rates will be under 6% by the end of this year. And what really is going to drive that more than anything is inflation. Uh, As inflation continues to drop and the bond market continues to improve, that's what we're going to see as improvements. Yeah. What about home values, Dale? What do you think will happen with home values in the months ahead? You know, they are anticipating this year, the projection just came out for 2024. We believe that um, it's going to be about a 3.2% increase this year uh, compared to the 7.1% we saw in 2023. Part of that's because listing prices are going to drop this year to accommodate for affordability. So that will have an impact on values, but we're still seeing prices go up. Um, So still a good time to buy. Yeah. So just appreciating a little bit slower, certainly not seeing any depreciation in uh, home values. What about inventory, Dale? I know this has been one of the issues that the lack of inventory has kept home prices up. Yeah. You know, we saw at the end of January that um, inventory was up to 506,000. If you compare that to last year, uh, it was only 472,000 and the low in 2023 was 240,000. So it's double what it was at its low point. New construction has really been doing well and taking off. That's going to improve inventory. And if rates continue to climb down, as we think they are, we really think we'll see those inventories jump up over 800,000 units by the end of this year. So it's going to get much better before the end of the year and create more opportunities for buyers. Yeah, very good. Dale, what would you say to someone who's thinking about buying a home in the months ahead? Should they sit on the sideline and wait out the reduction in interest rates? Do you think they should proceed if they're financially ready? What counsel do you have? 
I think they should proceed if they're financially ready, if they can create an affordable payment, if they have a good down payment amount that they've got. Because, look, the longer you wait and the more rates drop, the more you're going to see an infusion of people coming to the market trying to buy. And we'll be back to those competitive things like we had back in 2021 when 300 people were bidding on a home yeah. and they were going through the roof. So, you know, this is your time to get in right now. Dale, final question. You know, we're seeing stories about renting being a better value than buying, at least right now, while home values are up and mortgage rates are elevated. What's your opinion on that? My opinion is that's not the case. I mean, rents keep going up um, more than incomes do. So you've got instability there. You have no appreciation that you create whatsoever in a rental. Even at 3%, it's better than zero. And the tax benefits are substantial to buying a home right now and offsets a lot of your costs. You combine all those things plus the fact that the average homeowner has 40 times the uh, wealth that a renter has, you know, it's still the American dream. So I believe that owning a home is the best alternative for people today. Yeah, I think the key is make sure you are financially ready. Don't stretch to buy a house you can't afford. Dale, we always appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Rob. God bless you. That's Dale Vermillion, author of The Mortgage Maze. He's your go-to guy for mortgage questions. Pick up a copy today. Hey, we're back with your questions on anything financial just around the corner. Stick around. The opinions offered during this program represent the personal or professional opinions of the participants given for informational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to replace advice from a financial, medical, legal, or other professional who understands your specific situation. to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live here on Moody Radio. I'm Rob West, joining you live from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. This is where media and broadcasting and podcasting professionals come together. Those involved in film and movies and web projects, all focused on taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and promoting a biblical worldview through all facets of culture. These are the few days each year all of those professionals come together to grow in community and relationship. Uh, there's a lot of meetings that take place, but a lot of learning that happens here as well. We're at the beautiful Omni, uh, not Omni, Opryland. That's where we are, the Opryland uh, Gaylord in Nashville, Tennessee. And we've been delighted to broadcast from here all week long. We'll be here through tomorrow. But we're taking your calls and questions today at uh, 800-525-7000. That's 800 800- Five two five seven thousand. We've got lines open today. We started by talking about mortgages and the real estate market. Of course, always great when Dale Vermillion stops by. You know, I think the bottom line there is just recognize that uh, if you're thinking about buying that house, it doesn't mean this isn't the time to do it. We've certainly seen mortgage prices or rates tick down, and they're going to come down further. The key is just don't stretch. This is a time to be vigilant because we, in a sense, have the perfect storm here. We've got high housing prices, the average home now over $400,000 in the United States, combined with high interest rates, mortgage interest rates, which just means the cost of ownership is way up. The affordability of homes is lower than it's been in a long time, maybe ever. So that isn't cause not to buy. 
but it is cause to take another look at your budget and just say, am I stretching too far? Am I going to put myself in a position where my finances will suffer because I've got so much allocated to the housing category? That's where these guidelines can be helpful, including that guideline of not spending more than 25% on your mortgage payment, including taxes and insurance, not spending more than 30% of your take-home pay in the entire housing category, including utilities and other expenses related to operating your home. So just be on your guard there. And if you can wait, this is probably a time to save and wait for interest rates to come back down. All right, let's turn the corner, though. We want to take your questions on anything financial today. We'll be here throughout the hour, and uh, we'll tackle whatever's on your mind, financially speaking. 800-525-7000. We've got lines open, and you can call right now. 800-525-7000. Let's begin in Michigan today. Hi, Debbie. Go right ahead. Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, My mom... Yeah, my mom is um, 89, and I'm calling on her behalf. Um, She lives independently in an apartment, um, and she has an eight-acre piece of property that uh, she wants to sell to my brother. Um, Our questions are uh, about capital gains tax uh, or possible maybe getting into gifting taxes. Uh, the market value of the land is between 188000 to 203000 um, uh, Is there anything you would like to know background-wise? Yeah. It's a great question. Let me ask you, is her intention to sell the property uh, to your brother at a below market rate, or is she selling it at the market rate? Well, that's kind of um, something we've been trying to to figure. We um, she um, is uh, like I said, living independently, but she has to keep her eye on the future. Where you know it might be possible that she would need long term care, and sure. she does not have long term care insurance. She has uh, fifty thousand plus in investments. She has. Um, Social Security and my father's pension that would amount to 3000 plus a month. And this land is kind of like uh, the last pot that would be available. We suggested that, you know, she sell it and uh, invest it and uh, have it as, uh, you know, set, it, set aside for her future um, possibilities. Um, sure. Sure. And, uh, and so is this is we, this land she currently lives on, or is it separate from where she resides? No, uh, she used to. My father and her used to live on that land, but when my dad died, uh, they actually had ten acres, and she sold uh, the house and a couple acres to my brother at that time. And she's hung on to these eight acres, and now she's ready to let go of it. Um, it. And so okay. we're playing out the how this money should be looked at at what what price it should be sold to my brother for and and how to do it okay now uh, just a couple more questions you said you you believe these uh acreage the acreage that she's looking to sell to be valued at between 188 and 203,000 is that right yes that's uh real estate high and low appraisal yeah Okay. Uh, and is she looking to sell it to him at in that range, or is she looking to well, give him a she discount? Could drop, uh, she could drop 
she could possibly drop to like a hundred and sixty thousand, but I guess okay. um, protectively as her daughter, I'm 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 trying to look at it as okay, what makes the most sense for her, and yet I'm I don't want my brother to have to pay uh, the highest either. But you know, with everything, yeah. uh, you know. To keep yes. it legal, to keep it uh, wise, we're just sure. To well, it out. let's let's look at just kind of the the tax and and implications of this first, and then we'll talk about kind of the family dynamics uh, second. So, just in terms of selling a piece of property to a family member, it's not an arm's length transaction. So, it is a transaction that the IRS will be interested in, particularly if you can't establish that it's being sold at the market value. Now, if she sells it, you know, at the level to which you have an appraisal to back it up, then there's no issue. Uh, it's a it's a straight sale. Uh, you could use a real estate attorney to draft that contract. He would then make the purchase for from her. He could either finance that by getting a loan or just make the cash, uh, you know, at at closing uh, to your your mom. And then he's now the owner, and he would deed the property in his name. At that point, it's his property, so a new cost basis would be established at his purchase price, and then he would pay capital gains down the road if he sold it for a profit. From your mom's standpoint, if she's selling it to him at what you can justify as a as market, true market value, or at least in a range that you can justify, then there's no gift there. If she were to decide to sell it to him below market, so let's use the example of you know, the highest or the lowest appraisal you can use is 188 and she decides to sell it to him for 160. Well, then she's in a sense given him a $28,000 gift and then sold the property uh, alongside it. And so she would just report the portion that goes above 18,000, which is what she's able to give to any individual without reporting it. That's not taxable. She would just need to let the IRS know that she did it so that they can then allow that to chip away at her lifetime gift exclusion of 13 million. So she's she's not gonna pay any gift taxes until she gets above 13 million. She'll just have to report it on form 709. So I think, you know, that's from the tax side. Um, when we come back, if you can hold, let's talk about just the family dynamics and how she might think about that piece of it as well. So you stay right there. We'll be right back with you, Bebby, Be- uh, excuse me, Debbie. Uh, we're taking your phone calls today. We've got lines open, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live here on Moody Radio, live from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee at the Gaylord Opryland. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions. The lines are filling up quickly. It looks like we have just one remaining at 800-525-7000. Before the break, we were talking to Debbie in Michigan. Her mom, who's 89, wants to sell a piece of property, some land that she does not live on, uh, to her uh, brother, to Debbie's brother. And they're wondering about the tax implications. We're going to deal with the family dynamics, Debbie, in a moment. But uh, just to recap, uh, you know, if, if she sells that at below market, whatever it would be considered below market is a gift. Anything above 18000 she'd have to report to the IRS, still not taxable. Uh, at that point, she would determine whether she has a gain going back to her original cost basis for the purchase of that particular parcel and determining even at the reduced amount, let's say she gives your brother a discount, 
is there a gain there from when she originally bought it with her with your dad years ago? And if so, then that would be uh, she would pay capital gains on that. Uh, does all of that part of it make sense? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Okay, very yeah. good. Now, in terms of the family dynamic, I mean, uh, I, I think she needs to step back and just look at her overall wealth transfer plan and say, what is her intention to balance both the needs that she has for the assets that she's accumulated or she and your dad have accumulated uh, over their lifetime in terms of continuing to fund her lifestyle and her desire to give uh, or to leave an inheritance to you, her children, either now or at death and balance that against any other giving that she wants to do to ministry or charity. And so the extent to which she's discounting this property, because let's say she has the ability to do that financially and still have enough assets to fund the rest of her life. And that may be a question mark. So that would be the first consideration. The second is if she is extending that discount, I would say that's a part of her wealth transfer plan. And she needs to consider that in light of her overall wealth transfer plan, which includes you and any other siblings you have. And so she needs to look at this as not an isolated transaction, but a part of her overall wealth transfer strategy. If in fact, she's going to discount the property, because the bottom line is this is an asset that's a part of her estate and anything she's doing to reduce the value of it in the sale to a family member, a child of hers is a part of her wealth transfer or a gift at that point. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, it does. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think those are the considerations, not a whole lot to think about other than how do I put this together mechanically? And I would engage a real estate attorney to draft that contract and, and do this legally, have a rationale for the, the, um, the sell pr- selling price that, that she establishes and make sure there's clear communication to your brother as to why you've landed on the price that you have and how you can you know back that up. And then I think with regard to whether or not she discounts it, that's going to come back to her overall wealth transfer plan. Right, right, yeah. Um, Any feelings with what I've told you, whether she should go, you know, with the lowest market value or dip down to that 160,000 mark, knowing what you know? Um, Yeah, well, I mean, I think, so the the market value you're saying based on two uh, recent appraisals is somewhere between 188 and 203, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it would be perfectly appropriate for her to say either we're going to meet it in the middle and do, you know, 195 or to go with the lowest amount because there is a, you know, a a real third party appraisal there that justifies that amount. I think any of any price below 188 is really going to come down to her wanting to give a, a gift to your brother. Uh, because, you know, she's discounting it off of her estate and she's not giving that money to you or anybody else. And so I, I don't think she needs to feel obligated to discount it unless she wants to go ahead and extend a part of her estate to your brother now versus at death. Yeah, it just gets into, I guess, uh, speculation on uh, her needs in the future, which <laughs> are a little hard to, you know, know because. It's up to God, you know, in some right, ways but, to, you know. But I think that's unrelated to the selling price because, you know, it, it's kind of like this is a piece of real estate. This is an asset in her overall estate, right? And and if the fact that she's selling one of her assets to a family member 
uh, it would be perfectly appropriate to sell it at the true market value. There's not a, an obligation to sell it. Even if she has plenty of assets to last the rest of her life, I don't think she needs to feel like she automatically has to knock $28,000 off the purchase price just because it's a family member, unless she's wants, wanting to do some giving while she's alive to her son. But in that case, why wouldn't she do that with the others, including you as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those kind of things were kind of, I think, um, part of our family meeting we recently had. So you're just um, kind of substantiating, validating all that. So I appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. I mean, I think we've got to look at this as, I mean, let's think of it as cash in the bank, right? I mean, let's say instead of a piece of property worth 188000 it was $188,000 in the bank. Uh, if she were going to give that to your brother, he'd have to give her 188000 to get that $188,000 in cash, right? So why would we charge anything less than 188000 if that's what it's worth, unless the intention is to go ahead and give a gift to him? And, and so I think that that's the way you need to process it in terms of this is her asset and she has a the full ability to sell it. And if she were to sell it on the open market, she'd probably get somewhere between 188 and 203,000. So any desire to sell it for less than that just needs to be viewed as not a transaction, but a gift. And at the end of the day, I think that's the way it needs to be governed. The other piece is, you know, who knows how long the Lord has for her here. So, you know, she may live a long time and and need these assets to live on. So she may not even have the ability to discount it if we just look at this practically in terms of what she needs to sustain the rest of her life. So anyway, I hope that's helpful, Debbie. I know this is not easy. These kinds of situations, you never want to let money come between family and that's where these can be really challenging but i think as long as you can document everything then she uh, is taking the right approach to this thanks for your call today jim coming your way after the break and we've got room for a few more questions today at 800-525-7000 this is faith and finance live we'll be right back Well, this is Faith and Finance Live. We're live from NRB. My name is Rob West, and this is the program where we help you think about your money in light of biblical wisdom. We want God to be your ultimate treasure, not money. The world would tell you to worship God's creation, money. No, we worship God, and money is a tool to accomplish God's purposes as we spend it and allocate it appropriately, and as we save it with uh, thoughtfulness, and as we give it generously. And uh, all of the practical decisions we make, I think, are a reflection. The spending decisions we make every day are a reflection of what's most important to us. And here's what's really cool, is that when we give, when we're generous, it's the ultimate act of trust and a demonstration that we know God is our provider. Because if we believed we were responsible for our provision, well, we'd probably hold every dime that passes through our hands in our clenched fist. But because we know God is our provider, we can hold it loosely and give it generously because we know God will continue to provide. And the great secret to that is that act of giving allows us to participate in God's activity. We get the joy of knowing we're involved of where in where God is at work. And that's just how God's 
virtuous cycle uh, of managing his money works as he gives and we give it back and then we experience the joy and he continues to give. Now, I recognize some of you are in a really difficult spot financially right now, but here's what I know, that we can look to the sparrows, right? Uh, God says very clearly in his word, look at the birds. You know, they're not worried about where their next meal is going to come from. You don't need to be either. I'm there with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Seek first my kingdom. And that's what we want to remind you of this program every day. Hey, let's take some more of your questions as we uh, continue through the hour of uh, tackling the financial conundrums you're facing today. We've got a few lines open at 800-525-7000. Let's head south all the way to Miami. Hi, Jim. Go ahead, sir. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to ask about reinvesting retirement savings into an IRA. Um, I had recently uh, left my position of a job that I was able to um, contribute to the retirement for 15 years. And now I'm taking a new job without any benefits or help. So I've transitioned the money into an IRA and it's all sitting there. And the question I have is, do I go ahead and reinvest it now because the market seems to be on an uptick? Do I, do I wait a little bit for it to maybe drop? And if I invest it all or I invest it a little bit at a time, reintroduce it into the market a little bit at a time? That's kind of what yeah. I'm trying to figure out. It's a great question, and I'll just tell you what the data says. The data says the best time to invest is right now, that the moment we try to pick our entry point, it's a losing proposition. So to say, well, I'm going to wait till the market pulls back, or I'm going to begin to methodically put it into the market. I mean, if that's what it's going to take to get you investing, putting it in a portion of time, then go for it. But the data would say that if you're ready to invest and you know this money needs to grow for the long term, go ahead and invest it and make sure that it's in an appropriate investment allocation that's consistent with your goals and objectives and risk tolerance, and then continue to dollar cost average in, continue to add to it. Uh, Now, if you don't have a a new company-sponsored plan, then you can do that on your own through at at the very least, uh, you know, continuing to contribute to this IRA that uh, was the the recipient of that rollover. Um, And so you'll bump up to the ceiling of 7,000 pretty quickly, and you could look at other options at that point. But I think the key is to get started. Now, the next question, other than the timing, is the kind of the where of the investments. What investments are you going to choose? And I think as you make that decision, you have to decide, do I want to do it myself or do I want to hire somebody to do it for me? And there's a range of options in each of those. Uh, You know, doing it yourself could involve a kind of a a service like Sound Mind Investing where they'll make some suggestions and you ultimately are the one making the decision. In the managed options, you could use a robo-solution, which is using index portfolios to kind of create an automated solution that's very low cost. Or you could hire a money manager, either through buying a mutual fund or a dis- what's called a discretionary money manager, where they're actually making all the buy and sell decisions for you using stocks and bonds and mutual funds and the like. So I would say the timing, I would do it now. And the where comes down to how you want to approach that, either yourself or someone else. Is that helpful? Yeah, no, that's very helpful. So uh, don't try to perhaps time things. Just put it in, especially if it's for the long run, and uh, exactly. get started now. 
That's exactly right. I mean, you could certainly second guess that, and I can understand why you'd be looking at today in particular. I mean, the S&P just closed at a fresh record, record high, 5,087. We've never been there before. So you could say, well, wait a minute. Uh, You know, there's a lot of economists that still expect some sort of recession this year. We're at an all-time high on the S&P 500. We're close to it on the Dow Jones. Why would I put it in the market today? And I'm just saying, saying, if you look at all the research, you know, typically the best time to invest is now rather than trying to pick your entry point. You certainly could split the middle and say, I'm going to go ahead and invest 50% now and, and I'm going to wait and see if this recession plays out over the balance of this year. And if we get a pullback at some point, you know, that's the time when I'm going to put the other 50% in. You could do that, but the data would say that you're going to do better just once you decide you're going to do it, let's do it and take the long term perspective. Okay. All right. That's what I needed to hear. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jim. We appreciate your call today. Uh, To Kansas City. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Hey, thank you for uh, taking my call. I appreciate your time. Um, My question was about CDs. Uh, I'm going to get a large lump sum. I work for the government, and um, on my pension, I'll have a large buyout of about $70,000. And my wife and I want to set up our emergency savings, which we already have and have money in it, but we want to take and add some more money to that. But I'm wondering what the risks are with CDs. Are, is that a good investment with the remainders of some of our money to buy CDs? Does that have good returns or is it risky? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. You know, I would say if you're using a a CD with FDIC insurance, so a bank or a credit union that has either FDIC or NCUA insurance, you've got the backing of the full faith and credit of the United States government, which that's not risk-free, but it's as close to risk-free as you're going to get. Uh, So the risk is good uh, in terms of being very low. And the return right now is good. Now, the challenge is longer term, when we get beyond what you would call your emergency fund, because you've got more assets now, given you're moving into retirement, you know, the the rates are great on CDs right now, one, two, maybe three years. They start to fall off four or five years, and we know rates are going to be coming down. So that's not going to be as attractive. Let's say you were to put it all in a, you know, half of it in a one-year CD and the other half in a two-year. Two years from now, you are probably not going to see those rates that you're seeing today. And so what I would say is let's take let's keep our emergency savings in a liquid FDIC insured savings account. Good news is you can get 5% on that money with complete liquidity. Maybe the next tranche that you might need in the next three to five years, maybe that we put into CDs, one, two, three-year CDs, we ladder them. But anything that has a time horizon of five years or more, I'd probably be looking to put that in a in a stock and bond portfolio, you know, with more allocated to bonds than stocks to keep it more conservative. But it's going to give you more long-term appreciation, even when rates are back down much lower than they are today, where they've been more consistently for the last 20 years. And that's how you're going to offset inflation and continue to to grow this money uh, throughout your retirement years. But I want to hear your thoughts on all that. So stay right here. I'm going to take a break and we'll be back and talk on the other side. We'll be right back.
So glad to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live, live from the NRB Convention. What is that? Well, that stands for National Religious Broadcasters, media professionals, broadcasters, podcasters, those involved in film and media, all surrounding the gospel of Jesus Christ together for a week to uh, learn and grow and connect. And we're delighted that we've been able to bring you this program from NRB all week long. That will continue through tomorrow, but we're also grateful to take your questions today. And before the break, we were talking to Jim in Kansas City. He's got about seventy to 80000 from a pension buyout. He's wondering about CDs, the risk there, and how he should think about that. Uh, Jim, give me your thoughts on what I shared with you as to the safety as well as the, the long-term uh, prospects of, of CDs versus other investments. Well, I think it's a good idea to do the short-term one-year, one two-year if, if the interest is, you know, uh, hitting right at the right time because yep. I'm not going to retire till the end of the year of okay. this year. And, uh, I also have a 457 account. I'm not sure what to do with, if I should leave it there in the 457 account, which is run by our government yep. and, uh, or if I should roll it over into maybe a Roth IRA or some other investment, I'm just not sure of. Yeah. How much have you accumulated in the 457? It's only about sixty thousand. Okay. Yeah. I took a big uh, hit in two thousand and eight and lost a good forty eight percent of my money. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean I'd keep it invested. I, I generally recommend rolling it out of the four fifty seven. There's just so few options in the four fifty seven in terms of how you would invest it and rolling it out not to a Roth because that's pre tax money, but rolling it out to a traditional IRA would give you unlimited investment options. And so I like that option a lot to roll it to the IRA. It would also allow you when you get to 70 and a half to do some charitable giving out of that through a qualified charitable distribution where you can get the money out which went in pre-tax and you're not going to pay tax on it coming out because it goes straight to a ministry or charity, which is a great option. So I'd probably look at rolling that to an IRA and then either have an advisor help you manage that or manage it for you uh, would be the way to go. Well, I appreciate your, your help and I appreciate your program. I listen all the time. And uh, now that I'm getting closer to retirement, just wanted to find out some of my other options because, yeah. uh, I'm not a financial guy. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, let's talk about what you are because you're a really important guy. Now, I understand you had 30 years in the fire department. You were a, the local yeah. fire chief in your area. No, and thank you captain. for your, okay, fire captain. Okay. Uh, thank you for your service, Jim. What are you most going to miss about being a fire captain as you transition into retirement? Oh, it's like a family, a brotherhood. Yeah. I think I'll miss going to work and and just, you know, helping the public is something yeah. I did is why I got into the fire service. It's a mm -hmm. job I still love to go to, but my body's just telling me, hey, <laughs> it's time to slow down. <laughs> well, God created us to be workers. There's no doubt he was smiling as you were using your gifts and talents to serve others throughout your lifetime. But now he's got something else in store for you, and I can't wait to hear more about what it is. Uh, be sure to check back with us along the way. But again, thank you for your service to the people of, uh, of Kansas, Jim, and thank you for calling the program today. We appreciate it. Uh, let's uh, head to Illinois. Hi, Allison. Go right ahead. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm 
a disabled senior on a, a very fixed income. I mean, with God's grace, I've been making it on like less than 13000 a year. And um, naturally, there's a lot of things that I've done without, but that's okay. Um, my friend, um, we've been friends for 20 years, and she asked me to put my name on a bank account with her um, numerous years ago. And I did, and she said, I don't want you to look at that until I pass. Mm. Well, she passed, oh. and I went mm. to the bank, and they said that um, there's almost $40,000 in that account, and I'm just overwhelmed. Wow. wow. Um, I don't I mean that's a lot to me, yeah. and I don't know if I have to declare that since it's just been in my name all this time or what. I mean, I'm on food stamps, so naturally I have to get off of food stamps, which is okay, but yeah. I, I don't know, um, like taxation-wise, what to do, and I have to pray a lot on how to spend it. Yeah. Well, Allison, <laughs> what a story, and obviously you've been living on a very meager amount, and as you said, you've gone without, and yet God has provided for you, and he's continuing to provide for you in, in even an unexpected way. Now, if you were a co-owner of this account, uh, legally, this is your money, and so you don't have to declare anything. You were already the owner prior to your friend's passing, if you were uh, a co-owner of that account, meaning it was a joint account, uh, often it's called a joint tenants with right of survivorship. But uh, so essentially that's your money and um, you can, you have legal right to claim that money. And I think the next step is to say, Lord, what would you have me to do with this? And uh, clearly you've already said that you're going to pray about it quite a bit. And there's implications to this uh, with regard to food stamps. Uh, Even though this was your money, you didn't treat it as your money, but obviously uh, now that she's passed this is this is the reality that you're now aware of of what's in there and uh, you are the the legal owner of that wow okay <laughs> thank you i also have yeah. another um go ahead less problem she she left me uh safe and i haven't been able to open it yet i don't remember where she said the key is but i believe mm. there's cash in that Hmm. So I don't know what to do with the cash. Is that? Yeah. Did she have a a will? Um, No, her will was outdated, and she has two sons um, that are two sons and a daughter that are estranged from her. But they um, they're trying to find out stuff. Um, Okay. Yeah. Uh, And so, have they been in touch with you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So normally what would happen is there would be a a probate process that would be started. If there's a will, the will would govern that. If not, it's considered intestate and the probate court would decide how to disperse her assets, anything that was left behind that she was the the sole owner of. Uh, Now, in the case of this account, because you were joint owners, uh, that wouldn't apply here. But with any other assets, including cash that was hers inside of a safe, that would be a part of her estate. 
and that would be filed with the probate court. So a petition for probate would have to be filed with the probate court that would start the process of distributing her estate. Now, uh, in some cases, they don't even really get involved because there's just such a little amount and, and not a whole lot there. But, you know, that will that process will unfold as you uh, move through it. Are, are, are they planning to file uh, with the probate court a petition? I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, that would be the next step. Have you told them that there's a safe with that you believe that there's some money in? No. Okay. No, it's All right. it's at my house. She gave it to me and said it's mine. So. Oh, okay. So she made a gift to you of the money. Yes. Okay. Got it. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the probate process will likely begin and, and you'll just need to, uh, with regard to whatever, you know, make that known to them. But um, otherwise, if there is no valid will and there's really not a whole lot in the way of assets, then the uh, the court won't have a whole lot to do there. But uh, I think at this point, uh, you know, the, the next step for you is to determine what God has for you in the days ahead. And uh, I'm delighted that we were able to speak with you today. And if we can help further, Allison, in the future, don't hesitate to call. God bless you. Uh, quickly to Coconut Creek, Florida. Hi, Michael. Go ahead. Hi, Rob. Thank you. And thank you for your ministry. I, I benefit from it many times when I when I can listen. Um, my question is about reverse mortgages. I, I don't know much about it. I'm trying to find out what is the benefits and the drawbacks. Uh, we uh, Our home is paid for. We don't have a mortgage. And we're, we're thinking about possibly getting a reverse mortgage. Yeah. Uh, you know, they can be a great tool. And I think they're not for everyone. There's some people that when they get to this place that you're at, they say, listen, my home is paid for. I want to keep it that way. And I, I certainly think that's a, a viable approach. In fact, I love the idea of being completely unencumbered. I will say this is likely your biggest asset. Um, and so in this season of life, if you don't have enough in the way of other assets, perhaps, you know, if you look at your various income streams, you don't have a pension, maybe you're getting Social Security, but it's not enough to maintain your lifestyle. A lot of folks who say we, we plan to stay in our home use this idea of a reverse mortgage as a planning tool to increase cash flow. And so the way that would work is as long as you're 62 and you've got at least 50% equity, which you certainly have 100% equity, uh, what they would do is evaluate your age and life expectancy versus the value of that property and then tell you how much they could give you in the form of a monthly payment for the rest of your life. Now, that payment, the amount that they pay out to you can never exceed uh, the value of the home, meaning they could pay you more than your home is worth, but the only obligation you and or your estate will ever have is just your home as collateral. You're not personally guaranteeing it with a home equity conversion mortgage or a reverse mortgage. You're not guaranteeing what would be paid to you beyond the value of the home that's serving as collateral. The government actually is saying they'll take anything beyond that. So if you live to 130 and that monthly payment ends up exceeding uh, over the rest of your life, the value of the home when it's sold, the government pays the difference. So you're not uh, you know, personally obligating yourself, but it can be a real blessing because you now have this income stream. And then if you decide to move, the house is sold and the loan is paid plus interest or at death after you and your wife pass away, your estate would then sell the house, pay whatever is owed, 
and then the rest could be distributed to ministry or heirs as you see fit. So it can be a great option. Again, not for everybody, but something I think that's worthwhile to look at. Our friends at Movement Mortgage could be helpful here. Just go to movement.com slash faith and they'll tell you a lot more about it. Thanks for your call today. Faith and Finance Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and Faith Five. Thank you to Lynn, Dan, Amy, Jim, and Chris. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.